one, two, three, four, five. Welcome back to the Team CJ Podcast. We are on episode 67. 67? What, what, what's 67 relevant to, Kaiser? Quick. I have no idea. Uh, I think it might be a prime number. <laughs> but beyond that, I don't know. No, Maybe. Are you, are you actually thinking about whether you're trying to divide I'm trying to think, because yeah. like, back when we did the, what was it? 64, and you got the Nintendo 64 reference. Since then, I've been like, we need to get every number. We need to have a reference for this thing. I, I, I what happened in 1967? One sec. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Was a common year starting on Sunday. Wow, well, that's just already thrilling events. <laughs> it, uh, the Six Day War happened in Israel. Uh, Nigeria. It was called the Seven Day War. Uh, I think that was the series after. <laughs> uh, Operation Buffalo. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, nothing fun, happened in '67. Fun historical reference: the Seven Day War, or maybe the Six Day War, depending on if I have that wrong. Um, Israel, like all the neighbors of Israel, didn't like Israel existing, and so they declared war on it. And Israel kicked their ass in six days or seven days or whatever. It was yes. fucking hilarious. Here, um, how about this, bam? If your birthday's on March the 8th, congratulations, it's the 67th day of the year. Happy birthday for March the 8th. <laughs> there you he go. He says on November 6th. Yes! Alright. You've got lots to look forward to in the new year. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to look forward to in this episode. Uh, we're, we're actually doing another one of these where we're doubling up on a segment because we kind of have an overload of one thing and not enough of the other. Um, mm. So this this episode, we've got quite a few topics. Uh, I've got, well, I've only got one or two, and Blue has six. So we're going to be doing topics for segment one. Segment two, taking a little bit of a break because we watched Phantom of the Opera, the 2004 oh. version, this week. <sighs> and then... Chef kiss. Segment three, we're coming right back to topics again, uh, so that we can continue on with whatever we left off with in uh, segment one. So look forward to that. With mm. that being said, Blue, what's the first thing we're going to be talking about? Okay, so the first topic is going to be a game-related one. Uh, Kai, so I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want one where you will potentially be frustrated by the world of gaming, or would you want like one where you might actually be a little relieved at the world of gaming? Let's start with frustration. Frustration it is. Final Fantasy XIV has new rules and guidelines as to the way that players can act in the game. Whether they uh, get rid of all the yiffing? Well. <laughs> I don't think they'll ever truly get rid of all the yiffing. Um, so, uh, up until now, they've kept the rules and guidelines quite fast and loose, so that basically... Um, People can't work the system and say, like, oh, technically I was not doing this exact thing that you stated in the rules, so you cannot ban me for this. Um, but people were getting very ang anxious, apparently. There was a lot of anxiety going around about them wanting to know if they were actually upsetting people or breaking the rules of the game. Why? Uh, and they did not want to get banned. Because some people just are very anxious, I guess. Um... D but now the the rules and guidelines have they said okay fine we'll set out the exact parameters, and uh, they are rather strict. Um, so much so that like if you 
say you're in your guild, okay? Yeah. And you make a, an off-color joke about... Hang on, let me get the, uh, the list of... Uh, obscene slash indecent expressions. Why, why are you getting that up? Like, these are the type of people that, like, if you're on the playground and somebody, I don't know, does something a little bit sketchy, mm. like maybe he shoves Timmy over because Timmy called him a bitch, and then you, this is the kind of kid that runs to the teacher and immediately, like, tells immediately because they don't want to be caught in the middle of everything. And just, I hate people like this. I hate adults like this. Like, it's maybe you you act like this when you're a kid because you're a little pussy. But when you're an adult, you should have grown out of this. Handle your own problems. You don't need to go run to like Big Daddy Square Enix and have them fix everything for you. So key points of uh, the discriminatory section of the thing: it is prohibited to make any discriminatory expressions based on race, nationality, thinking, gender. Sexual orientation, gender identity, state, religion, occupation, or organization. Blue's character looks like a powder buffalo bitch. Boom, I'm banned. Powder buffalo bitch. I mean, think, think, picture <laughs> your character. It's a really good, like, if there was a racist description of your character, that's a really good one. I mean, you... I'm rather hairless, so I don't know if buffalo would work. Why buffalo? Because you're huge. Wow, you fat shaming me now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I see. <laughs> no, but I, I like, I, I hate stuff like this. But go on. Yeah, I think it's a, they go a bit excessive with like, based on thinking. Define someone's thinking. Did, wait, descript. Wait, what? You, is it you prohibited can't... to make any discriminatory expression based on thinking? Do you understand what that means? Because I don't. No. <laughs> Like, does this mean that if you think I'm a bitch and I tell you you don't think I'm a bitch, I'm discriminating? Yeah, Based I don't know. I... And uh, likewise I... for okay. occupation and organization, I think, are a bit odd. It's like if you're mocking someone if they're like a janitor or something, but why would you tell someone your occupation anyway while you're playing a game? It's like, you play games to get away from your fucking occupation. Yeah. Um, or maybe maybe people have been pissing on Square Enix employees. <laughs> I mean, I work for... Well, I can't see why, because everyone loves Square Enix at the moment. Like, my industry is pharmaceuticals, so, like, maybe, um... Does that mean that, like, if somebody comes up to me and says that they think all pharmaceutical companies are corrupt and money-grubbing assholes, I can get them banned? Maybe if they said to you, like, you're... Your business, all you do is, you know, kill puppies and by testing drugs. chemicals on them. Yeah. Uh, but we yeah, so that puppies, was a bit... Um, rats. Yes. Uh, also, actions that inflict... So, another bannable thing. Actions that inflict emotional distress by using expressions related to historical events or crimes. Wait. So you can't mention history in a way that would offend people. Which, okay... Bismarck, am I right? And I'm banned. Yeah, there's a lot of historical, like, because every historical event has a a, a yeah. full guy essentially in it. So it's well, kind of hard. You just can't mention history, I guess. Any, and the entire history of the human race has been like you know conflicts between people, and mm. sometimes it, violent or non-violent. But you, you can't talk. This is these are 
God. But I, I, I like to say I do not actually uh, blame Squeenix for any of this. I think Squeenix was perfectly happy playing it fast and loose. Um, I think it was the uh, I won't say the audience, but that's not the right word. The player base. I, I no. That I have essentially I, asked for this. I blame both parties. I blame the whatever chunk of the player base decided that they were going to complain about this, and I blame I blame Square Enix for giving into this shit. When when Square Enix heard this, their response should have been "grow up," and then yeah, not another word. It, that's how companies should react when, when people come with complaints like this: is to say "grow up" and not change anything. Mm. They do also cover a few um, good points, though. I think, like, like um, people stalking you in-game. Um, I... People, like, going up to a character and, like, grinding on them or, like, <laughs> sexual acts. Like, <laughs> e ERPing in... Honestly, <laughs> I swear to God, if well, the moment they fucking enforce these rules, right, Limsa Lamins's like, teleport point is going to be fucking empty. I, I just... <laughs> like, I don't They're know gonna be what banned. was going through their head. They're like, hey, our game's doing great because World of Warcraft did some shitty things. Let's do those exact same shitty things. Oh, what, you talking about like the bowl of fruit kind of thing? Yeah, like they're, they're, uh, they've just decided, hey, we're going to we're gonna go down the exact same route that killed our major competitor. I just, yeah, but they did it for a very different reason. Like, World of Warcraft did it because no, but, they, but, they were slapping themselves on the wrist because of something completely unrelated that they've what done Final Fantasy? Bad. No, no. What, what Square Enix is doing now is what World of Warcraft did, like, five years ago. So... I have no idea what they did five years ago. Exactly what Square Enix is doing now. They cracked down on, like, all the fun shit. And they, they did these more stringent mm. guidelines. Um, and they anyway, said, like, we're but... completely fine with this stuff happening in privacy or with consenting people. Like, I'm talking about ERP now. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I know what I know what you're talking about, but I still don't even agree that they should have like banned stuff like that. I've never understood e stalking in a video game. Log out. It's a fucking well, no. video game. Okay, imagine you're like a streamer. Okay. Yeah. And a guy's constantly following you around. He is because obviously he can see your point of view. There's it's. Quite a common thing for people to just get on like a massive fucking mountain, stand in front of your camera. Yeah, and that's really fucking annoying, especially because you're not just yes, playing for yourself; but, but you're playing for hundreds of thousands of people potentially. That's the risk you run. You're playing a video game online. There are assholes online. Yeah, but they just want to enjoy the game, and they're streamers. They want other people to enjoy them playing the game as well. I can understand why it's fucking annoying. It's and annoying. Frankly, it should not be, be bannable. It's annoying, but it should not be bannable. Like, there's ways to get around that shit. I don't think it's specifically banning. I think this list covers, like, you know, warnings and all that other shit. I don't know what exactly the process is for Final Fantasy to... Uh, I don't know if they just, like, get rid of your character and let you make a new one, or what. Any any amount of punishment is too much for yeah. stuff that they're describing. And this is our... I feel like this is, um... I don't think this is a bad thing. I think this is very well describes our kind of views po political views somewhat right yeah so i i guess i'm i'm a bit more of a police state side than you are i guess and i'm, I'm very much negative light. yeah i'm very much on the the hardcore libertarian side of things yeah um 
but yeah, that's uh, yeah, that was that was the frustrating side of uh, gaming. All right, well, um, I'm I'm very much awake now and angry. Let's move on to something else. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's switch over to the um, the real world topic that I've got for, for this week. Um, Halloween last week, yeah, and so uh, for those um, listening or watching, uh, no, not watching. Well, maybe watching. Who knows? The we put out our Halloween podcast last week. Yep. But that was recorded a week before the actual Halloween, so that it would come out on Halloween, uh, and you could all enjoy it then. Uh, I then went out with uh, Alicia the day after, I think it was, um, to a uh, to to go clubbing on Halloween. Mm. So we got dressed up. Um, I was dressed up as a payday character because I fucking love it and I've got the masks. Uh, the the story was... is made funnier for me because I can actually see what you're wearing right now. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you're talking about going out clubbing on Halloween and you're dressed like some kind of a... You got the, the hoodie up, your headphones over the hoodie, the sunglasses on. <laughs> like I have. Well, that's because I've been up for a long time and the sunglasses help my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Go, go on um, with the story. Anyway, so yes, we went out to a club, and this was the first time Alicia had ever been out clubbing. Uh, it was great. She really enjoyed it, I really enjoyed it. We were out for about four hours, which is a bit longer than I would normally go out. But, you know, I wasn't going to be a killjoy on her first first foray into the clubbing scene. Yeah. Um, I, we were out, and the place where we were... It was quite a, uh, a busy location. Hmm. Should we say? There is a, a well-built-up area. And I think that actively affects the way that a group of people will dance, right? So, I came from a far quieter uh, place before I came to where I am now. Yeah. And so, there's generally a bit more room in clubs. Um, all the people in this in this uh, particular club that we were in the other week were like doing that thing where you basically you're just gently bobbing up and down and basically not moving at all you're just doing like the head back the soft head banging and like yeah it looks awkward as fuck especially in the early the hours of the Charlie club Brown when there's not dance. many people yeah and, like, it doesn't look like you're enjoying yourself. Your facial expression is just, like, stoic. You try not to get eye contact with someone. Then there's me and fucking Alicia. Front of the fucking room. In the middle. They, uh, people actually cleared a fucking space for us. Because yeah. we were fucking throwing shapes, man. <laughs> it was... We, we were really enjoying ourselves. That's how I dance. Yes, absolutely. I and I think around. it's... If you're gonna dance... A, you should have fun, yeah. and B, you should work up a bit of a sweat. You should fucking move. Like, when I, yeah. like, the, the like company parties that I went to, and even, like, when I go uh, go out with people and actually have a, a chance to dance, like, the next day, I should be sore. Like, yes. I, I've, Absolutely. At, after I've been, like, somewhere where I've, I've actually done, like, at, where I've actually danced, like, I feel like I've had a good core workout. Like, my abs are fucking mm. sore as hell, and so are my legs. That's how you Absolutely should feel. Legs. I do, I agree with you on this point 100%. Like, don't... The, the like, fucking little head bob. It's like, okay. Yeah, that's that's fine if you're at home, like, sitting in your chair, listening to some beats. 
Yeah, that that's like you're not even you're not thinking about doing it then, you're just doing it out of Yeah, exactly. You just feel like beat. moving along to the music. Yeah, and when when it gets later in the night when there's a more intense group of people, yeah, I can understand you're not gonna be throwing your arms around so much. Right. Um because you out of courtesy, you don't wanna knock people's drinks out of their hands, you don't wanna hit someone by accident. Um and these things do happen and then you just, you know, apologize and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um so like I said, I was wearing the payday mask, right? Yeah. And I was in a suit. Um, very difficult dancing with a mask on. Like, a full fucking mask on. Especially because there is no hole for the mouth. So you're essentially breathing up or down to get the air out of oh, yeah. the yeah. fucking mask. And I was still fucking there for four hours. <laughs> um, the, the That was a real... Uh, a very obvious way for me to work out. Because people would come up and talk to me and be like, I love your mask, or like, hey, that's from Payday, I recognize it, kind of thing. Yeah. And there's a very simple way of working out who was going to be a wanker and who was not. The wankers were the ones that didn't come up and were, they, well, they, they might come up and say, oh, I really like what you're going on. And then they'd try and touch my face. You should never, ever, try, if some, you should never just try and touch a person, alright? Especially without their, their, their permission. Granted, it's a mask, it's not like it's there touching me, but putting your hand near someone's face, irrelevant of any other thing, is, it's, it's kind of hostile. Yeah. Um, and the number of people that were going up and just like, grabbing at my fucking face. I was like, no, 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 no. And literally, there were several times I swatted someone's hand away. Um, some guy grabbed the fucking nose of my mask, and I turned to him, put my... He was pretty fucking drunk. I turned to him, fucking grabbed his nose, and gave it a bit of a pull as well. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking fun, isn't it? <laughs> that was... That, I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. I no, I, that. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. Like, I'm... I, I, I think people are a little... Space. I don't know, I think people are a little too, um, touchy about, like, uh, personal space in general. Like, I, I can see, like, you know, if if you're being, like, if touch someone on the shoulder, on the arm, something like that, that's generally, in my opinion, okay if it's, like, in a, if it's, if, if the situation if calls for this, it can be awkward yeah. if, if it doesn't, but... But never, even even people I know, I don't like you know, randomly touch their face. Yeah, I I would never just fucking reach up and, and like poke you in the face. And if there was a reason for me to do so, I would ask first. And that's even though I know you really quite well now. <laughs> yeah, I would still do that. Um, drunk or not, just don't be that guy. Um, I yeah, can't think a of really a single reason. Like I can't think of a single reason to touch somebody's face, even that I know. Other, unless mm. I'm going to hit them, <laughs> like <laughs> or <laughs> caress them. Yeah, it's that, that's the thing. It's well, that, that's the weird thing. It's like it's an, it's a it's kind of an intimate action. It's like oh, hello, dear. Yeah, it, faces are kind of yeah. It's there's there's boundaries there. Um, that that is very one weird thing, to me. All I'm thinking is because you were at a, at a club, like maybe they were, uh, you know, having some uh, some ecstasy. Oh, they're fucking drunk as fuck. Um, 
there was uh, it was one of these clubs where there are no tables and chairs, and I understand why, mm. because what they want is they want you to come in, to have your drink in your hand, so you drink it faster because you can't put it down anywhere. Yep, and then they want you to dance and then fuck off. They don't want you sitting down because that takes up room in the club when other people could be coming in. And you might slow and down and drink slower. Exactly. And, so yeah, I yeah. completely understand why they do it. It's just a pain in the ass. Um, and this is why, like, smoking areas are one of the greatest things for, for <laughs> clubs. Because generally, there's they had, like, benches out in the smoking area. And granted, a lot of people don't get, like, going out there because they don't, like, take in the smoke. But the fresh air in itself, when you've been in a club dancing for an hour you step out into the fresh air especially it's this like time of year God when it's just like jizzed cool in your face crisp. it's beautiful yeah yeah um and yeah the other oh, fuck was there was something else blab for a second um yeah i mean i don't I've now, only, have you been to many clubs only two um only two and they were basically complete opposite experience I, it, it was never really like my cup of tea i think it was because the mm. the first um club experience i went to was really not enjoyable they they mm. it had big dance area bar and like one corner that had like booths and and tables and things um and that was it and my problem was the music it was all shit that i'm like how the fuck do people dance to this it yeah, was like there's like the kind of music I like enjoy dancing to is like hip hop, R and B, something with a beat that I can actually move to. I don't yeah. like the I this club was playing like like rock and metal kind of music, and I'm like I, I enjoy listening to that genre. I don't enjoy dancing to it. And I couldn't it was not enjoyable. Mm. I did go to a club at another point um where they were playing like Again, more stuff that I could I could dance to, and I did enjoy that one a lot more. Um, but I do know what you mean. Like once you get out into the, like the cool air and actually get the, it's it's amazing. But go yeah. on. The there's there's been some clubs I've been to that have done some pretty interesting things. Uh, what the first one I ever went to, in fact, um, back in the place I used to live, uh, they had uh, like it says the main dance floor. And then there were, like, ba balconies round the side. Like, a second floor of balconies. Yeah. And the posh cunts who were wearing, like, suits and hats and things sat up there and didn't actually dance. I don't know why they bothered coming. Um, to look down on the plebs. Yeah, I guess. But affixed to those balconies, not saying that people can interact with, but I guess it's an electric circle thing, mm. were, like, these mist cannons. And it would fire, like, a cloud of fog of, like, cold water mist yeah. across the dance floor. So refreshing, you're mid-dance, and there's like that actually the whole room yeah. is just like instantly fogged, and you get a nice cold. Um, another one I went to, it was actually a, a kind of a rock one, and like, about an hour into it, they were just like, we just ordered three massive pizzas, everyone just takes slices for free. And they walked around, and I was like, fuck yes. That's awesome. Um, it's a planet fitness maneuver right there. <laughs> then um, yeah, so the the one we were, that we actually went to, I didn't I didn't really understand what the um, message behind it was, but they th there was a theme to it kind of thing, and they had like this zombified face of Trump 
on a bunch of like electronic boards and things and it was some kind of like you know brainwash the people kind of message everybody dance it's gonna be the huge whenever huge <laughs> dance <laughs> i just found it fucking hilarious because this is a city that obviously fucking hates trump yeah like, um it's just this kind of city thing and so i guess that's what i will but i was just seeing trump everywhere and it was just hilarious to me because i was dancing and then there was fucking zombie trump up there above <laughs> me uh yeah it was, it was uh, weird so, but it was fucking fun so i don't i I'm pr i've probably shown you this video before but um this this has very this has nothing to do with dancing but just because you mentioned trump it reminded me of this um mm. you know uh back in 2019 i think it was during all like the the hong kong uh protests where they were trying to yeah. get independence from china and china was like fuck you we're gonna arrest random people and beat you in the street um they there were there were people going around interviewing random protesters and people throughout it and one of the people they interviewed it, it was like this this chubby asian dude and he's got this big flag that said something in um in cantonese or mandarin and um how or well actually it was written so it would have just been chinese the the spoken language is what's different um yeah and the guy's like you know do you have anything to say to you know the president of the united states like you know about what's going on here and everything like that and the the protester was like, Donald Trump, don't trust China! China is asshole! <laughs> and I was, I don't know why I was thinking about it the other day, but I, I went and um, I watched the video back, and it's just, it's hilarious, because the guy says it with such, like, verve and sin sincerity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a very sincere and very true statement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to live there. No, I, I I feel bad for Hong Kong because they kind of like had, they they're like Taiwan. They're kind of an example of what mainland China could be if they uh, if they were allowed to operate in a non-authoritarian state. Um, mm. But yeah, sorry, that, that sorry, they got a little. I don't know. Got That's there right. from clubbing. But yeah, uh, um, well, I was just gonna do one more short topic to to wind up the. Um, you wind the up first segment part. one, and then yeah, then we can move on to uh, Phantom of the Opera. The uh, the positive um, gaming edition mm. recently. Uh, so we've started playing Counter Strike earlier this week, right? Again. Yeah, and God damn it, uh, do I I am so out of practice. Uh, yes, God, I fucking suck. Uh, I tried a few like five v fives, and I'm just abysmal at it now. Yeah. Um, but they have introduced some interesting new things for a start, and I don't know if you noticed this while we were playing. You can use a riot shield now. I didn't notice that. I want yeah, to do that. Yeah, it's in the heavy um, section, which is where the shotguns are. So I'm surprised you didn't see it. No, uh, I just I, like literally. I'm. I was playing that game on autopilot. It's like okay, yeah. start match, buy shotgun, buy pistol. You've seen everything so many times before that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I just I I run through the exact like routine, and I just kind of phase out everything that I don't. So the riot shield gives you a uh, a global slow buff. A, a debuff, whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, slow. It, ma uh, it makes you slow. Yes. Yes, a little bit. Even when you've got it on your, uh, like, not equipped, it yeah. makes you a little bit slower. Yeah. Uh, when you've got it equipped, you can't use any weapon, but you can, if you're close to a person and you, like, click, then you can, like, kill them with it, essentially. Yeah, do a melee. Um, it blocks a certain amount of damage before shattering. Uh... I, th I think it's very much not used by people, even though it just sounds like a really fucking fun thing. It does, um, yeah. 
and uh, also when you got it on your back, it still deflects bullets from the back. So it's like the pan from uh, PUBG. <laughs> from yeah, from PUBG. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's a, a fun thing, and also in, from CS:GO, I noticed they've added, uh, which you'll really appreciate. You can have um, half match lengths now in five v five competitive play. Oh my god! Thank fuck yes. Yep. That five was... v fives. You can go to a. So before it was like I think sixteen to win a game. Yes. Now so you, you can, can have, have upwards of thirty-one. Yeah, you get upwards of thirty-one rounds. Yeah. Oh. So you've halved that uh, playtime if you'd like to choose that mode. I might actually play the, <laughs> the competitive mode a little bit more because I I enjoyed it, but by the end I was I'd be so, so sick of the yeah. match after. Especially if it's going badly after the first two minutes and you're just like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a slog, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, or, um, like, more often what would happen is it'd go really good for the first, like, eight rounds and then people would get bored or somebody would piss somebody off or somebody would quit and then it would go yeah. bad and then it's like you just have to sit there watching the match go wrong the slow for another, decline. Like, 20 minutes. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was bad. I'd, I'd love to play. That's one of the reasons I... I primarily played wingman in that game with you was that was mm. it was really short and quick to the point like and that's and why for the for like we, we so we played a game on like literally sunday or something monday i don't know yeah and for the rest because I, I literally played it again later that night mm. found these things out and then i was like shit i want to talk to kaiser about this on the podcast I'm just not going to play CSGO with Kaiser for the rest of the week. You've got and I still failed at doing that. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, we did play Wingman, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. But no, that, so yeah, I, I might actually start playing more Counter-Strike again. Mm. Um, because I've already got quite a bit of time in it, but not compared to any kind of professional at it, and I'm still super shit at it. Uh, they've put me down to the Silver League, so I actually might be able to play with you in 5v5 now. Yeah, yeah, we... <laughs> I still remember that. I didn't, that. That ranking system was so fucked. We would go pretty much even in terms of scores, and somehow it kept me in the same league, but it put you all the way up to the highest rank in the game. And yeah, we were playing uh, together. Yeah, that was in Wingman. Yeah. That was, that was pretty dumb. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There's not many games out there that get ranking systems right, I don't think. Um, the, the only game that I've personally yeah. found that I... And I'm horribly biased with this was um starcraft 2 like and i think most of that comes down to the fact that it's it's a single well okay i guess there's 2v2 and 3v3 and 4v4 but no one really plays those mm. um in the 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 1v1 is where like the ladder really is and they they do a very good job matching you against people who are on a level with you and like they do a good job with how they measure advancement and MMR and things like that. It 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 really does seem to be very well put together. I think the one of the well the, the game that comes to mind for me that uh, gives a ranking system that makes me actually interact more with the game was Minion Masters because oh, I remember that game. Uh, if you put in the time and the effort anyone could get a pretty fucking... Like, you could get to whatever it was, Master... I'm yeah. thinking of CSGO now. Um, whatever it was. But it's a high rank. You yeah, and off... if you wanted to, like, super fucking try hard, then the last tier is literally just a countdown to the best player in the world. Like, yeah. you can see exactly where you want. Uh, 
Starcraft did that that too. Um, it was it starts off in bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, master, and then grandmaster is just a two the top two hundred people in that region, and then it yeah. counts down to the the top one. Um, but I I, I I really enjoyed minion masters. Mm. Oh, and I obligatory just I feel like I I have to tell this story every time we talk about minion masters. I love the Genesis story for how you and Mass got me into that game because I, I was yeah I was in Switzerland on a, a work trip and all I had was a shitty laptop and I popped into oh, Discord no. and I couldn't play anything else and you guys were like oh you know we're we're playing this this game Minion Masters it's it was because it was originally it was a game that you could get on Discord as a game when they were trying to be like a game platform like Steam yeah. And um, so I just remember, like, the, the night after the the audit, when I was settling into the hotel, all I did was play fucking Minion Masters with you guys for, like, four hours before yeah. bed. Honestly, I don't even remember when Mass played. That was a very long time ago, and she didn't yeah. play for long. <laughs> yeah, they, I'm trying to remember when that, that trip was. That was probably in early 2019 or late 2018. Like, it was it was mm. a few years ago now. Um, yeah, and they did a lot of things right, and they kind of got a bit worse over time because they went a bit money grubby with the uh, um, new content and the what's it called battle pass. They had a really good battle pass setup, yeah. and then they made it kind of shitty. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these live service games, that's their life cycle. They start off cool and interesting, and they give you fun stuff, and then over time, they just grow more and more shitty. Yeah. But um, that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be uh, talking about something very old and not shitty now. The Phantom of the Opera is here. Sorry, that was... Is that how it goes? I, I don't know. I think so. There. No. Is it there? I think it's here. I don't here. know. Anyway, I'll remember it for the next part. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse us while we uh, try to refresh our memory on the movie we just watched. Uh, anyway, this is going to be the end of segment one of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you'll hear us again momentarily for segment two. Welcome back to the TMCJ Podcast. We are on segment two, our media segment. We had movie night, and it was Alicia's choice, and this After week... After two weeks. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, we oh. we did watch um, Phantom of the Opera, the 2004 version, and yeah. I had never seen any rendition of it. Not a theater performance of it, not the old movies, not the new movie... I didn't even know there was a new movie. Is there a new movie? Well, the 2004 one. Oh, okay. Compared to the 1980s one and the 1920s one, that it is new. Gotcha. And apparently it's a book that I've never read. Um, yes, it's, the it's original. One those, yeah, one of those classics that just slipped by me. Um, how should we do this? Do you want to give the plot synopsis or sh should I? Um, uh, I mean, you love giving the synopsis. How about you do it and I'll just, you know tell you you're wrong every time you get something <laughs> i'm probably going to get a lot wrong um, also i should i should say just before this um i've read the book um oh i should say i've listened to the book i listened to it on audible like a couple of years ago mm. um yeah. and 
it's quite different, but also they got a lot of things the same as the book, which I appreciated. Yeah, the big classic book that um, I went through on Audible, uh, which took fucking forever, was The Count of Monte Cristo, which mm. is a I highly recommend, but dear God, is it a long fucking book. And it's clear that it was written in the 1800s because there is a lot of exposition and a lot of character banter. Uh, anyway, yeah, I... sorry, go on. You, you were... I was just going to say, yeah, th I definitely got that feeling when I started trying to read um, Les Mis audiobook. Mm -hmm. and I just got like pages and pages and pages of there's this priest that lives in a village. That's basically all it boiled down to. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, yes, you get go that on. going through like the old uh, Lord of the Rings books, like the the Fellowship of the Ring. It's like, or or one of the later ones. It's like entire five chapters of them just walking and chatting mm. with each other. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, okay, so let's see if I can I can do the the plot justice. Because um, honestly, most of what I remember is just the music. The music was fucking phenomenal in this this one. I, I loved it. Um, mm. So it opens up. And we're introduced to an auction, right? That's happening in the future in black and white. This is, and they're, the the theater is all decrepit. Yeah, the future from the point of where most of the story takes place. Um, it's all, and they're they're doing they're auctioning off a bunch of stuff, and they're referencing some tragic event of the Phantom of the Opera. And sorry, specifically, the auction was in 1919, so immediately post-war. So the the uh. opera house. Possibly. I, I can't remember if it had been in the book or not. I think the Opera House got bombed. I could be wrong. Okay. That could... Maybe not. It's just the fact that it's 1919 made me think of it. So it's so it's immediate, yeah, immediately after the war. Yeah. Um, and the, the actual plot of the story, I think, takes place something like 50 years before that or something. It's 1800. Yeah, 40 right? or 50. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're auctioning off stuff, and they reference the the tragic events of the you know the Phantom of the Opera and the night and the house and whatnot, and so that, it's all foreshadowing for what's happening. And there are some older people here who clearly are getting emotional, remembering back. You know, they were they were there. You can kind of get that impression. And then we cut back to like you know everything suddenly beautifully. I might add, we like that part where the chandeliers rising and that that scene yes. was. I, I got tingles because they, they cue the, the iconic the you know music. Phantom of the Opera like theme and it's like oh Fucking... even just remembering it I'm getting tingles now like I want mm. I just want to watch that scene again the organ music and oh yeah. there's something really like surreal powerful. and powerful yeah about like a good organ like yeah music. yeah and then they flash past like twelve different statues with their tits out and it's like whoa powerful. <laughs> 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 uh, what were we talking about with the Tyranids? Um, so, yeah, so so flashback to the past. Uh, flashback, to, and, and they do this in, in the movie. It's it's also done in a very, I, I think, really good way, where it's all black and white in the future, and then when it goes back to the actual plot where the movie is gonna like most the time where most of the movie is taking place, it goes to color. Mm. I liked that. It's a, it's a it's a visual touch that I enjoy. Um. But so it goes back, and then they're they're prepping for some big show, and then there's this you know opera singer on stage, and she's going through lines, and then um, they're all rehearsing, and then in comes these three men. One of them is the owner of the theater, 
and the other two are the people who have just taken over for him. He announces that he's he's retiring, and these are the people who are um, are taking over for him, and they're a bit bumbly. Um, and it's it's retiring kind of retiring early for his 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 mental health. Yeah, his mental health, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This. <laughs> Uh, I think he was, he's, yeah, he's like going to the seaside or something like that, um, retiring somewhere tropical or whatever. Yeah. And, um, the, it's... Foreshadowing. And it's, it's implied that these two are a bit, like, of bumblers. Like, they're like, oh, yes, they're in the junk business, and they've made their fortune there, and so now they've bought this, and, um, and the, the one guy is always quick to remind people, scrap metal business! And, you know, clearly somebody who's a little insecure. Hmm. Um, and the, the, the old, the, the one that's not that guy always, like... I, I only very business. Yeah, I, I said this. He's very business savvy, um, but he's also um, Jul- he also plays Julius Caesar in the HBO Rome series, and that's the only role I really knew him from. So every time he shouted, I was just thinking like Caesar giving a speech to the troops. <laughs> it just it amused me. Um, so there's a little bit of banter between the characters. Some of the the people in the in the back there, like the the lesser known. Um, background singers and performers the, the the people who aren't the divas um they have yeah, a little bit of sorry i was gonna say that should be said that the main operatic singer lady is like the classic definition of a diva 100 yeah. percent. like just the, at the, the 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 slightest thing you know if something's just not perfectly right um you know that i mean there's there's a lot of good reasons uh for that like opera singers in general they their their voices tend to burn out by the time they're thirty, just because mm. like even when they were rehearsing. This is a fun little piece of trivia for you. Uh, even when opera singers rehearsed, like the main singers, a lot of the times they'd rehearse their lines and they would whisper it because they didn't want to wear out their voice before the actual performance. Yeah. Um, so she was a little bit over the top but I, I there's there is an element of reason behind why they would be like that because they they're kind of like you know sports stars they don't want to burn out by the time they're 30 yeah um anyway a little bit of back and forth there and then it's revealed they get a, a note um as they've taken over the theater and the note is from you know the phantom of the opera the titular the opera character ghost. and um what the opera ghost, I believe they call him. Oh, opera ghost. Okay, but they they still receive a letter, and it has some mm. stipulations. He has a salary that he expects to be paid. There's a box seat that always has to be left open for him. And, box five. Yeah, box five, and then I, I can't remember. Was it a third condition, or was it just the pay in the uh, box? Oh God, testing my memory. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it was just those two. Those are the two major things. Yeah. And they they they're like oh this is this is silly what is this and he in the letter he refers to it as his theater, mm. um, and they're you know a little bit miffed and they're like oh this is stupid and they they move on. Um, what? Oh, and then after that, well, in that scene they also uh, bring in the the sweetheart. Right, the, yeah, uh, they, they piss off the diva, and the diva storms off, and so they need to figure out, like, a substitute or something like that. No, no, they? no, I mean, the, the person who's, like, uh, paying for it all, the... the, the oh, right, from. you're... Oh, I completely forgot about this. Yep, so they, they bring in... Uh, he's, like, a count or a duke or something like that, or a baronet. 
Um, yeah, so <laughs> some some noble rank of some variety. Yeah. Um, and he comes in and he's recognized by a couple of the girls backstage. Like, oh, I grew up with him and we we knew each other back in the day. And um, yeah. and he's he's the money behind the two. He's the one who's kind of a, a patron of the arts, you know, helping finance mm. the theater. Um, and he talks to them for a while and then walks off. And is this is this where the 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 diva storms off? Like, does she quit at this point? Or is there... uh, I can't remember if it was before or after that, but yeah. Yeah, but something happens, and the diva mm. doesn't want to perform. And yep. so they decide to throw something in... falls on her. That's what it was. She was rehearsing, and somebody up... Some mysterious figure up up in the, the rafters unties something, and it almost hits her. Hmm. Um, and that's when she storms off, and is like, oh, I'm not having any of this, and blah, blah, blah. And so they, they decide to throw in somebody from the B team. Um, this this uh, girl who she was knew the lines, yeah, 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 that knew the lines and could sing very well, and she rehearsed it, and um, just think like, yeah, I it just she was uh, honestly, I think that they they when they were casting this, they found the perfect person for that role because she managed to like strike the um the perfect balance between like starry eyed innocence and um. What's the word I'm looking for? Naivete, maybe? I don't know. But I think yeah. I think that the person like was was right for the it just it felt like a very A likable character. Yeah. The the casting in this movie I thought was really good. Like yeah. everyone seemed to really fit their roles pretty well. Except for the Phantom. Yeah, I, for reasons that if you have if you haven't read the book, then yeah, it's yeah. fine. It doesn't make a difference. Exactly but for, for me, it irks me. <laughs> for, for me, also when I was reading the description of him after the movie, I was like, wow, they they prettied him up for this because he's in the yeah. book. He's like they they describe him apparently as like missing a nose and stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, he's a, he looks a lot older than the the beautiful man that they had portraying him. Yeah, and. Yeah, uh, Phantom in this movie uh, was Gerard Butler, which uh, the only thing I knew him from really was uh, 300 and um, uh, The Law-Abiding Citizen. Hmm. 300, it was, it was a very, very big change to see him go from King Leonidas of the Spartans over to the Phantom of the Opera. But And to be fair, when you do see him without his mask on, they did a good job of making him look hideous. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyway, so she takes over. Uh, turns out she's really, really good. And then they have the opening night with the the, the play, and it goes off. It's a huge hit, and she's like just the the new sensation. Everyone loves her. Mm. And then cut to the evening. Uh, well, actually, no, no. Uh, patron guy, the noble, recognizes her as like, oh, that's my childhood friend. I remember her. And he goes to her dressing room and goes to bring her flowers and talk to her. They, they, they bond over like, oh, remember this, remember that, and what? God, I can't make the slightest facial movement, can I? Um, I just, so I, I, I rely, I rely on your facial expressions during these plot synopses to let me know when I'm either fucking up or when you want to say something. Just before he comes in, the uh, matron comes in and hands her the single rose with the black ribbon. Ah, uh, from the Phantom, yes. Yeah. That's a key point. Um, 
anyway, so he goes in, talks to her, they they bond and reminisce. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh he goes off and he's like, Oh, you know, we we, we haven't seen each other in, in so long, you know, like come come, you know, we'll we'll go out and we'll do whatever. Basically he's saying, like, come to my carriage, you know, we'll we'll go and, you know, have, have dinner and reminisce together. and yeah. yeah. Um and, and she's like, no, I can't do that. I have to practice singing. Practice singing, exactly. And then this is where things get a little weird. Yeah. Um, because she, like, when he leaves to go get his carriage, um, a mysterious figure locks her door. And then there's this kind of duet song going on where she is almost, like, entranced, it seems like. And she turns back towards her mirror and there's this very dapper, mysterious figure where the mirror was, with a you know a mask covering half of his face, mm, um, inside of the mirror. And they sing a fucking phenomenal duet. I love this this song. Like it's it's absolutely amazing. And where he kind of lures and takes her down, down into yeah, like almost the, hypnotizes her. Yeah, it it did feel like that. Yeah, like she was she was entranced. Mm. Um brings her down and into the dungeons of the theater. I think a scene we missed I um but I'm sure the uh the 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 whole connection between her and the Phantom is that he's actually been teaching her how to sing yeah. for like years. But and she's never seen him before. You're right, you're right. There a scene that we missed is her talking to one of her co stars, um mm. and you know, talking about her angel of music who has brought her, yeah. like, and coached her all her life from the shadows and how her father told her on his death that he would he would bring, he would send to her the angel of music to, to watch over her after he was gone and that's what she thinks this voice is that she's hearing all throughout, you know, her, yeah. her life and he coaching her. took and advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. And so she sees him in the mirror and then in this entrancing she's constantly referring to him referring to him as her angel of music and uh, so yeah he brings her down into like the the depths of his like it's it's like a labyrinth below the theater that goes down and down into this area and he eventually they get to a boat and like go up to this this area where he's he's got his little um workshop i guess for lack of a better term where he's he's got like lair yeah lair that's a, yeah there, there we go he, he brings her down to the bat cave and um there there's all this other stuff there and they, they have a very i don't know how to sensual let's say um interaction they don't. Uh, they don't. So she's like mind fucked, and she's just kind of wandering around. Where and then she's yeah. And, but what I mean is like he's he's slowly getting closer, and they're getting, yeah. It's not it's not explicitly sexual, but there are deep no. sexual undertones in that scene. Yeah, like when when he's so to get to his lair, like I think as I said, they have to like. He, he ferries her in a small in a gondola. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, the the music just before they they finish on the gondola um, is very. He's uh, I believe it's the part of the song where he's like, "Sing for me," and it's very kind of aggressive the way that he's yeah. singing, and yeah. she's singing back to him. 
and it's, um, the, the song I think is like the line is the, you know, the music of the night or something like that. Yeah, um, he's saying sing my sing my angel of music, sing for me. Mm. Uh, God, I just want to listen to the soundtrack again. <laughs> yeah, it, it really it, like trust me when I say like the soundtrack's on YouTube, so you can you can listen to it for free. The soundtrack alone is worth watching this movie. Like, mm. just just the the visuals are really good. I understand, like if you uh, like you said, if if you're familiar with the book, maybe the casting choices aren't perfect, but um, huh. it's. Just, I think they got a lot of things right. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a really enjoyable watch too. Anyway, so uh, after this duet goes on for a while, she just passes out and like well, collapses. You remember why she passes out? Um, I I remember he was like feeling up on her. So he parts a curtain, and on the other side of the curtain is, like, a picture of her, basically, in a wedding dress. That's oh, not a picture of her. Yeah. It's well, like an actual A mannequin. Yeah, a mannequin yeah. that's built up to look... Yeah, exactly. So, some sort of a, an effigy of that. I wasn't sure what that was. Like, it flashed so quickly the first time we were watching it, I was like, was that a body? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, is I that the last girl he brought down here? It was a very close to, to realistic uh, yeah. picture of her kind of thing yeah um, yeah and, model of her. And, yeah model in a, in a mannequin form and then she mm. then she passes out and he lays yeah. her into like this um super rapey bed. <laughs> it was but honestly that i i thought that looked like a okay now that you've said that, cool that I, I, this is gonna, I, I was gonna say it's, it looks like a really cool bed yeah yeah but it's just candles the, the around situation. red blankets and it's like in this little grotto behind a curtain and then um, like the veil the black veil descends and he's on the other side you just see the fucking white face Super creepy, like yeah. I uh, I honestly, I was surprised that they didn't go with like a plot line of them banging, but um, yeah, no. I actually think it was story wise. I I think it was a better decision that they they didn't go down that route. Um, Bear in mind, up until this point, for years she's seen this person as a teacher and as someone a lot older than her, because this person is a lot older than her. Yeah. Um, the the actors didn't really. I mean, there there's an age difference in the actors. I think we looked this up afterwards. Is. She was 18 uh, when they 16. filmed. No, 18. I'm pretty sure Alyssa said 16. Okay, she was 18 when the movie came out, according right. to the IMDb page. Okay. So that actually means, yeah, probably during filming she would have been 16 or 17. And the the actor um, who was portraying the Phantom, he would have been in his 40 something. No, yeah. 30s. I looked this. Uh, we we looked this up because uh, the movie came out in two thousand four. He was born in sixty nine. So, when the movie came out, he was thirty five. Okay. Which would have made that's probably right. I don't know. Yeah. Which would, so if we're going two years back, then filming he would have been thirty three, and she would have been again enough of an age difference that kind of the the creepiness of yeah. the relationship. Um, is kind of almost is, is kind of conveyed in the way that the because that that's how it was in the actual story. Like, I think in the book you were saying he was even older than that. Yeah, I believe so. Um. So yeah, but this all gets tied up in the the plot later, and there's there's a reason why this guy is kind of going to lengths. Anyway, um, so it's it's established that um. You know, she's gone missing. People are looking for her up top and trying to figure out what happens. 
I, I forget. Do, do they do they go to that scene first, or do do they go to the next scene where she wakes up next? Um, she wakes up and then she takes off his mask and yeah. he punches her. <laughs> I just couldn't remember if that happened next or if they they went to the people up top first. No, they went. They uh, went to people up top afterwards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So people are looking for her. The the noble doesn't know what happened to her and is like, oh, where'd she go? And the the mother. Uh, who kind of spoke for the girl to get her the part is like, I was like, oh, don't, don't question it, don't worry about it. Like, there's nothing you can do, and it's like, okay, that's kind of weird and foreboding. Like, why creepy. do you know about yeah. this? <laughs> um, also, yeah, mother of the year, right there. Um, mm. And then it cuts back down to like, you know, her in the grotto as she wakes up and is looking around, and he's at his his desk and he's you know writing something, and then. I think they start singing a little bit again, and then she takes his mask off. And he reacts in a very apoplectic fashion, just like knocks her to the ground, covers his face, and starts shouting like, oh, what did you do, you fucking horrible person? And doesn't swear, but... Um, he basically does for the time. Yeah, for the time, yeah. Um, yes. And says something like oh now that you've seen me you can never return and stuff all like just this this yeah there's but... quite a few like persephone-esque vibes i get from the film somewhere yeah i could see i that. mean obviously she isn't eating his fruit but but, uh... <laughs> but it is it does yeah follow like that kind yeah. of like the same greek especially when you see like the, the spiral staircase descending as if into hell mm. and then the boat scene that's like the river sticks yeah uh, who was it that of... was it was it orpheus the guy that tried to bring it, her out of hell and then looked back or the something? bard yeah i don't know if it was orpheus i'm getting my greek myths fucked up but i, can't, I not... don't think it was doesn't matter some bard and he fucked up <laughs> like an idiot <laughs> there's a story in, in in greek mythology where um somebody goes down into hades and the um like the girl's lover has to go to rescue her, and the deal is he can he can bring her out, but he has to he can't look back at her until they're out of Hades, until yeah. they're out of the cave. And they're almost out, and he turns around, looks back, and sees that she's rotten and decrepit, and because he turned back, she gets sucked back down into Hades, and he's fucked. Not um, too dissimilar to the, uh, the old Bible story with the... Uh, yeah, uh, Solomon, no, uh, Sodom and Sodom Gomorrah. Gomorrah. Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah, yeah. Where the, the man's told not to look back, um, and when he does, it turns his family into pillars of salt or something like that. Well, no, he doesn't look back. I thought they did. They did. They, they stone. did, and he doesn't. Yeah, yeah and they, they turn to pillars of salt, particularly. Yeah, salt. Um, that has nothing to do with Phantom of the Opera, though. Sorry, yes. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, so eventually she does be like get let out and he he agrees to let her go back but tells her that she has to keep studying music and you know under his tutelage and whatnot mm. um and she will be the star and no she, one else exactly and so now we cut back to the two uh weirdo businessmen who are like one's in a, a panic half the staff is gone what happened like she got the star got kidnapped and the diva's not coming back and all this mm. stuff, and the other guy's like, "This is this is great for business. Gossip is the best advertising around, and and whatnot." And, Lots of uh, notes. Yeah. And then 
Uh, this is like I think when the diva bursts in and they they're trying to convince her to be the star again. And oh no, no, that's what it is. They all get a letter. So they get a letter yeah. from the Phantom, and he's like, "What the fuck? You didn't pay me my salary. You didn't keep my box open. Here are my conditions. Please do these things." And also, this girl's going to be the star of the show. Um, and then apparently, the count. What? Um, the the good boyfriend is the count. Is a count, I think. A count. Well, he comes back in in this scene, yeah. and he apparently received a letter from that was addressed to him from one of the theater guys mm. uh and i don't remember what it says but they didn't write it obviously it was supposed to be from the phantom and then the diva yeah. shows up and she gets a letter saying that um you know you're bumped off the top spot and this girl's gonna be the lead now um mm. and it was addressed from the count but it was from the phantom and so they're all having... I don't think he put any names in any of them. People just assumed that it was from certain people. Oh, okay. I didn't pick up on that. I thought he actually, like, gave a false, uh, you know... Because that'd be a bit fucking childish for me if he was just like, I'm going to say this one's from the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. The guy lives in a cave. Um... <laughs> He's also a genius. I think he would have a, had a better plan than that. Probably, yeah. Anyway, so that that all happens, and they have this other scene where they're trying to talk the diva back onto the stage again, and she tries to leave, and she sees outside a bunch of adoring fans for her replacement, and yeah. she's immediately like, I think her her pride takes over, and she's like, okay, I got to get back on stage, otherwise they're just gonna keep loving this new girl, and I'm I'm yeah. I'm washed up. Um, so they cast her as the the main part. Um, against just, the ghost's wishes. Against the ghost's wishes, and they don't keep his box open. Again, against his wishes. Um, so the play the play begins, and um, they go about completely, like, well, they they get fucked because the phantom switches out her little uh, spritzer to moisturize her throat and everything with something mm. that's gonna. I, I honestly thought that he was gonna kill her here. Like, when I saw him switch out her spritzer thing, the, the main diva singer, I was like, that bitch is dead. Like, I was like, that's like cyanide or something like that. She's going to die on stage or start coughing well, up. Well, someone died, stage. just not her. True, yeah. Um, but, so he switches it out, and so when she goes to, you know, spritz her throat, um, she starts, like, it just basically makes it swell up so she can't sing properly, and she's like... Yeah. Um... And so they have to switch her out with the the girl that was that he wanted to be in the lead. And I think midway through the performance as well, he walks out into like the, the upper tier of the the theater and just goes like I demanded that box five be open. That's what he does before the the spritzing, because then they do the song again and that's when she needs the extra. That's spritz. when she does it and then they switch things yeah. around. Yeah. What I didn't understand was that when they, because they switched to have the girl that he wanted singing, mm. and then he continues to fuck with them. I think the reason he continued to fuck with them was because, well, I mean, they they did it begrudgingly, but then they also didn't keep his box open, and they still didn't pay him. True. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so the. Uh, the play goes on, and then at the end of it, um, she has a interaction with 
uh, the count. Oh, sorry, I, I skipped a step. I skipped a step. There's a there's a stage manager, like, and he sees the phantom kind of moving around in the rafters and goes like to try and catch him or to see him, and the phantom um, like has a tussle with him, strangles him, and then ties him in a noose and then drops him down on the stage. And that's how the, the play ends, because a body just fucking falls down and it starts hanging in the middle of the set. Mm. Um, they're like, oh, it's a, a tragic accident, a tragic accident. Please, people, be calm. and Stay in your seats. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so that all ends. And then uh, there is a bit of a song and a dance between the Count and the, the, main, the new main girl. The one who had been lured down into the Phantom's Cavern. Um where he's professing his love for her she obviously is in love with him and they but she she knows that she can't go because she's afraid of the phantom like what he might do because he just he killed a dude just for seeing him mm. um and he you know he fucked with the the main star's throat and all this stuff and she's like you know how can i i leave this man just kills on a whim and um eventually throughout this scene she uh she is won over by the count who is like you know it's like okay don't worry about him you know, I'll I'll protect you I'll be with you it's it's worth it we you know th this I'll man I'll hide you yeah, which exactly. is something that you couldn't say these days hiding your woman away <laughs> um, uh, keep your woman in the closet yeah. what Jesus um which actually uh that that comes to the next scene um so uh they they wander off and she's dropped his rose in the snow and he picks it up and now he's very embittered and the phantom goes because he sees this whole interaction between her and the count um and he goes into a song and dance about how you know he's feeling betrayed and he's going to he's going to ascend i don't know if he he's swearing revenge or if he's trying he, still he trying talks to about her. like starting a war against <clears throat> them uh, essentially yeah uh, he very clearly feels betrayed in any case. Yeah. And cut to some time later when the theater is throwing a masquerade and uh, the people dancing around and a musical thing. Uh, and there, before this scene, there's a, a where the girl and the count walk in and it's clear that they're, in, they're engaged now, but she wants to keep it a secret because she's still scared of the phantom. Are they engaged? Yeah, they are. But she tells him that they need to keep their engagement a secret, on. and so she has the, yeah. the engagement ring that she hides in her, you know, in her cleavage, which is a, a plot point that comes up later. Um, and uh, what was I just saying? Oh, so right, they're dancing in the masquerade. Yeah, yeah. And then, boom! Cue the phantom. He pops in in like a a very like I I thought this was a great entrance. Yeah, but the what was weird was that everyone recognized him as the Phantom, despite no one knowing who he is. That's that's true. Yeah, a bit contrived, but you know, it's it's narratively important because um, yeah. everyone else is in sold. like black or white, and he shows up in like a bright red tuxedo with a cape uh, and a sword on his his belt, and I'm like, that is a fucking entrance. So he comes in, and he sings about, like, oh, you thought I was gone, I've been preparing something. He throws a manuscript down on the ground, he's like, I wrote a play, in, or an opera, or whatever, and you guys are gonna do this shit. Don Juan. Um, and then he gets into a fucking, like, he pulls out his sword, and, like, you know, starts threatening and intimidating people. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And the uh, the count runs off and comes. I thought he was just being a bitch, but he runs off and yeah, he comes <laughs> and he comes back with a sword and goes after the count, where who disappears through like a puff of smoke and a trap door in the floor. Um, with the the dude, yeah, yeah. And the count doesn't end up trying to catch him, and um, now cut to a scene where there's they're they're scheming and conniving to try and trap the count. Um, the, between the the theater owners and the and the sorry trap the uh, phantom uh and so the count and the theater owners are talking to the mother and they're, they're like oh we you know we have a way to catch him now because she has to perform that it's his play so he's going to be watching so we bring the police in and we're gonna we're gonna catch him when he's watching the play yeah um we get to the actual play I think I don't think there's too much that happens in here. oh the graveyard scene. The graveyard scene happens. Uh, so, the the woman she she goes off because all of this is getting to be a bit too much for her, and she goes to visit her father's grave. And so there's a long song where she's there, and when she gets there, singing about you know her angel of music and about her father and trying to doing some soul searching essentially. Um, the Count realizes, oh god, this is going to be a trap. The Phantom's probably like waiting for her or something like that. He rushes off to, to catch her. And the Count does show up, you know, from like a mausoleum in the graveyard, just pops up in a puff of smoke and starts again. Doing... Well, to be fair, I mean, he actually was the one that drove her there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Again, it's it's that whole um, entranced kind of thing. It, it's, it feels like she's... Uh, being hypnotized by him hmm yeah well in in the uh the book so she went off back to her the place where she used to live with her father i believe yeah and there was a whole bunch of things about um her father's violin Hmm. and so she went to the grave and uh she was kind of asking her father for help and she heard the violin being played and the count was there no, the Count was actually not in the scene oh, at all. okay. Uh, not to my knowledge, anyway. Um, but... Oh, sorry, uh, I meant the Phantom. The Phantom. The Phantom was that. The Phantom had stolen her father's violin and pretended to be him, like they did in the film. Except she, he was just on his own and he just fucking took the shit out of advantage of her. Um, okay. Yeah. That's very different from the movie, yeah. Because yeah. in the movie, what happens is again he's also kind of pretending to be her father, but the count shows up and mm. they have a big Errol Flynn fucking sword fight, and the count loses. No, sorry, the Phantom loses. It's because Count is normally a villain. It is, yeah. So now I'm yeah. thinking if <laughs> I keep mixing them up in Just my got head, Dracula in your head, yeah, yeah, exactly. But so the Phantom loses, and the count takes uh, the girl off, and the Phantom swears more vengeance or something like that and um now we cut to the the night of the performance and um you know the the play is happening and it's a very it's very intense and very dark which you'd expect because it was written by the phantom of the opera instead of like some of the other stuff that had been um there earlier and what what happens is like during the performance the phantom sneaks on the stage and takes the place of one of the actors um to sing a duet with the main star and again 
seduce slash hypnotizer. Oh, he also, I think he shanked the guy who was going to be... Yeah, he does an eight, uh, Hitman Agent 47. He <laughs> just... Just knifes the dude and then... It's like, hey, Jeff, you showed up to work today and you're a lot balder than before. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, the Hitman video games, famous for their arcadey approach to stealth, where you can just... If you put on somebody's clothes, you're that person. That, that's yeah. how the stealth works in that game. And that's what happens here. He kills the actor who looks nothing like him. And he just yeah, takes his a place. Big, a big, a fat short man yeah. turns into a tall thin man. A rather rotund midget, as it were. Yeah, um, it's not actually a midget, but can I say midget? It's our podcast. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> I just, I don't know what it's offensive anymore. Anyway, um, so they again they have their duet on stage, and then at the last moment, at like the peak of the song, she rips his mask off. Yeah, and everyone sees that he's got a fucked up side of his face, and um, so he he grabs her and takes her down into the dungeon um, through one of his secret escape routes or whatever. And the police he throws are her off the bridge into the fire pit, which just leads straight into the basement. Yeah, yeah. There's another trap door, and he he cues another one of his traps, which is like the fucking chandelier goes ripping down to the ceiling, and like is swinging down into the audience and into the yeah. like the pit where the band is and for all i know Starts fucking kills fire. everyone um it it looks like i think you said in the book like a lot of people are supposed to die in that scene um yeah they kind of skirt around that movie. i'm pretty sure it does it looks like a few people might get hit but they don't they kind of show people running away so it's kind of up to your own imagination mm. uh and now cue like a very um this ending, I didn't know what to expect from it because I, I did. I was unfamiliar with the source material, and I was like, "It can go in any direction." At this point, Count was a fucking idiot. Yeah, the Count like goes down there uh, to try and uh, rescue the girl, and the um, the Phantom has Get, her down in in the dungeon. He and gets there's... stuck in the trash compactor. <laughs> yeah. uh... They have to call back to C-3PO to shut down the, the trash compactors. No. Um, wrong movie. <laughs> Same trap, though. Basically. And so the Count uh, tries to force her to stay with him by threatening to, to kill her lover uh, mm. if she doesn't love him. And um, there's... I, I've saved talking about the Count's... Uh, not the Count. The Phantom's backstory. Um until now because i think that this is something that you i want to give you a chance to talk about because you've read the book and you've you've told me that his backstory is very different in the book um yeah but it's it's clear throughout the movie that the phantom is somebody who is starved for human affection be it like friendly familial or you know um uh what's the word i'm looking amorous mm. um and so they like he's he's desperate in this moment. You he almost he's even though he's threatening to kill this guy so that this woman who doesn't want to be with him will stay with him, he's still kind of sympathetic in this scene because you see him like at by this stage in the movie, he's been heavily established as a tragic character, as somebody who is just completely starved for human contact and is doing this out of desperation. It's still fucked up what he's doing, but you can kind of see where he's coming from. Anyway, hmm. in the final scene, she she agrees to stay with him if he'll if he'll let her him go, and um, yeah. It, so he's saying just 
that that scene. Yeah, go the on. count arrives, stands there, gets chained to a portcullis by the the phantom. Yeah, it's so fucking stupid. He just does nothing. It's kind neither of neither does she. It is kind of contrived. Um, yeah, the the phantom is the only person who is actively doing anything in that scene. I can't <clears throat> remember exactly how it ends in the book, but I remember. I think she was dropped into a room mm. where it was super bright and there was like reflective metal trees or something. Oh, it was a very, very weird thing. It was like a kind of a saw-esque torture room, as I recall. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very different uh, from the movie. It might have been mirrors. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was like it became boiling hot because of the light in the mirrors. Yeah. Anyway. So the the way this ends in the movie is that she agrees to stay with him if he'll let the Count go. And that act of, like, affection, um, like, it kind of breaks him, the Phantom, in that moment. He's just, like, he he kind of, he, he got what he wanted, but it's so bittersweet, and he sees how much they care for each other, and he's like, and he just, he can't do it. He lets them both mm. go and tells them, just get out of here. And, ret like, retreats to his, his tiny little hovel room. Um, where he's looking at this tiny little toy from his childhood and just like the one piece of comfort that he has. Um, and she comes back in there and then uh, they they have they he, she gives him something or does some very like she gives him the ring back that he gave her. Yeah, this this but and it's this tiny act of kindness. And it, like you can see it like that more than anything was what he wanted. He wanted that that piece of human affection that that little act of kindness and i think this is where you know, like he gives the ring back and he like he asks her to to return it when he dies or something like that or put it on his grave or something it doesn't that happen am i am i misremembering this okay i don't think so um but anyway so she gives it back um they they do some stuff to make sure that he isn't caught by the police and so that he can kind of go off and live his life or whatever um or or just so that he's not punished for what he's done. Um, Which, and I mean, he should have been, but whatever. He should have been, yeah, but but it's 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 a romantic story. Um, anyway, so a weird, fucked-up romantic story. But <laughs> they they go off, and they, they live happily ever after, and then you find out that the people in the black-and-white scene from the beginning, um, the old man in the scene was actually the Count, and the old woman, I believe, was the girl's mother or no no i think the girl in the scene was the her co-star not the diva but the blonde chick with the huge blonde chick <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i i took it as being the um the the, the older the mum. okay maybe it was um, the mom i thought it was the mom too but then i was like did the ages match up maybe maybe not i don't know yeah it's kind of iffy um i think yeah she, the Phantom, and the Count are all roughly the same age, I think. So it makes sense that the mother would actually, yeah, still be around. Yeah, because I, I gotta, yeah, I gotta remember people. Yeah, people had kids earlier back then, and then um, yeah. the girl was quite young compared to the Count. So if they're both alive, then... anyway, and then it, it's it, the the uh, the Count. Um, he lays like a rose with a, a ring on the grave of I think. Yeah, the, the she Phantom. died like a really fucking short time. After you see her last, um, yeah, it was like only a few years. I mean, it was it was the mid eighteen hundreds. People died from random shit all the time. Yeah, Every, all the older people survived. So, 
that's the whole plot, and we we have gone a little bit over, but I feel like it's yeah. merited because this is one thing that I wanted us to discuss at the end of this is the backstory of the Count because you've read the book and it's very different. Um, I've only seen the movie, and from what you've told me of the book, I think I like that backstory a lot more. But I'm for sake of reference, I'm going to explain the backstory quickly that was in the movie, and then I want you to go through the one in the book. Um, cool. In the movie. He's like some kind of a circus freak. Like he's born with some sort of a abnormality For that gypsies. has his face all fucked up. Yeah, and um, like to the point where even his own mother cringed when he went to like kiss her and hug her, and uh, which is awful for a fucking child. Like to to lack that sort of physical connection with another human being. Um, and then his either his father or someone else like they they put him in a freak show and they called him like the devil's child and they they glued horns to his head and had like people would go in to see him in a cage and everything like that as the the guy prodded him and and whatnot and um the girl's mother helps him escape because she takes pity on him um and then hides him in the the sewers below the theater and he spent his whole life building all these secret things and trap doors around the theater and everything this is when the girl's mother was a little girl yeah 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 so years and years ago um yeah so that's what it is in the movie book so and again bear in mind i read this two years ago so what the details are squiffy but uh i believe it's somewhere out in the middle east Mm -hmm. and he was uh the the phantom of the opera's name is eric by the way um not mentioned in the movie. Uh, he was a, a famous and incredible architect, and he made all these, um, like basically labyrinths and kind of intricate mazes and things and traps to keep wealthy people's jewels and treasures safe. Mm. So he does a job for this like king or prince or something, and the king slash prince is like, okay. No one is able to get in there now, except the the architect who made it. So I'm gonna trap the architect in there, which he did. So Eric was stuck in the in the his own creation, and when he was trying to escape, he got like acid splash or something on his face, and yeah, it like that's why the scarring from his face came from. Uh, he then went back and murdered the king slash prince before retreating to uh, France where he bought the I believe he bought the the, the theatre along with someone else mm. uh, and he also had a servant the whole time as well in, so in him book. calling it his theatre in the movie it makes a lot more sense in that context yeah I mean it still makes sense in the movie's context because he's, he's put so much into the theatre yeah. and he like the very entire underground of the theatre has been architected by him. I don't know what the word I'm looking for for that is. But, Designed? Um, yeah, that works. Um, and you do actually see in the film there are like booby traps and other, other ambush oh, right, points. Even the trap door in the main ballroom that he disappears in during the masquerade. Hmm. And like all of the walls in the place are like there's there's rooms behind all the walls that no one knows about. Yeah. So he can that's how people think he's a ghost because he can move from one part of the theater to another a lot faster than anyone else could. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if I remember right from the the synopsis that I read, um, the the person that he 
uh, work. I think they, they specifically call out Persia as the place. Which, for those yeah, that don't know, Persia is what Iran was called before they called it Iran. Iran, they actually, Iran, fun, fun story. Iran actually changed their name to Iran because, um, they, like, it was some something to do with trying to, like, sync up with Europe or something like that, or they, they changed the name, because before that, if you look on, like, old maps from the 1800s and stuff, like, Iran is referred to as Persia, and they call themselves Persia. I don't mm, remember why Iran... It sounds like a far nicer name than Iran. I, yeah, I really like Persia. I think, I, if I remember right, the reason they switched it to Iran was because they referred to themselves as, like, the Aryan people, and Iran, um. Aryan. I, it's something to do with that. I'm a little bit foggy on that that bit of history, but I've... Normally, I'm, I'm better with these historical, like, trivia bits, <laughs> but uh, not, not today. But, no, I, I actually really like that backstory a lot more. I yeah. think it, it makes a lot more sense and it's a little bit less contrived yeah um but it also means that um the the the, the lady the the mother of the girl mm. had a lot more influence regarding the phantom in the film whereas in the book the lady was literally just someone who worked at the um place and she she was the one who she kind of just was kind of friends with the, the opera ghost, but yeah. not in the sense that they talked to each other, just whenever he needed something, she'd be the one to deliver it to Box 5. Mm. She would do all the things relating to the, the, the ghost, because yeah. she was her, her go-between. Where in the movie, she was sort of his his savior. Yeah, and almost but, a mother figure for him, too. Which kind makes of the relationship the even creepier. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Um... But yeah, because she wouldn't go into his lair, but she, at the same time she knew about the passageways behind the mirror and such. Yeah, which makes it even weirder that she like was just perfectly chill with her daughter. Yeah, her daughter being there when people are getting murdered around it. Yeah, not mother of the year right there. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes, great movie. Yeah, I, I despite. And this is the thing, like, I wanted to, to have that little piece because I actually think I'm going to read the book now, or at least listen to the audiobook, because I have a bunch of Audible credits to use up. And now that I'm actually going into the office again, um, I have a commute in which to listen to them. <laughs> uh, but there's... I, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a very dark plotline. There's a few contrived points, but the acting was great. The music was on point, and it was visually stunning. Like, I... Like, you don't even... Like, some of the plot, like, uh, quibbles that you, you mentioned, I didn't even really notice when I was watching it until you pointed them out, because it really does suck you in, and it, it just kind of... It... You yeah. just... It... Ironically, it just kind of hypnotizes you. You, you. you get into the movie, and you just... You're listening to the music and watching it. It's just great. I, I'm actually gonna... I'm probably going to buy the movie and I'm probably going to watch it again and just like it, it seems like Enjoy the perfect it, kind of movie to just sit there and watch like a lot of when I'm watching stuff I have to be doing something else at the same time something to occupy my hands or whatever this one is mm. one I feel like I could just sit down, watch and just let myself get sucked in um, but yeah, we're, we're already pretty over on this segment so uh, <laughs> but it was worth it, like I felt like we had a lot to oh, say yeah. about this one it was a 
unlike some movies where they're really good movies, but they have very little to talk about, this is a story-rich, flavorful yeah. film where we could... It's one of those ones you could talk about forever. Yeah, we could... If we wanted to, we could probably pick apart each and every scene and go like, oh, this is... this. There's a lot to be said about this. Like, they're, they're, oh, we, what could we say about this character? Oh, this was a little edgy. What do we want to say about this scene? And I did gloss over a few points when I was going over the, the plot synopsis, mainly just for time, but... God. So yeah, go watch it. Watch it. It's excellent. Anyway, <laughs> all right. This is going to be the end of segment two of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and you'll hear us again momentarily for segment three. Welcome back to the TMCJ Podcast. We are on segment three, our wild card segment. And this week, the wild card is very tame. Uh, we're going back to segment one, in fact. Uh, we, we had a bunch of topics. Blue told me he had like six or so to talk about. You know, we went through a few of them in segment one. Took a little break to talk about the Phantom of the Opera. And now we're back to topics. A little break. A little break, yeah. It was a, it was a very long segment, but fuck it. Yeah. Um... So what I wanted to talk about, it's it's partially a philosophical thing and partially just kind of a modern social commentary kind of thing. There, okay. There's this concept, and I, I remember reading about it months and months ago, and it was something that, like, you know, it, it made sense to me, and it was like, okay, that's an interesting argument about it. And I've been thinking about it more and more now that I've been going back into the office and starting to travel for work again and things. And it's this... Uh, the, the best way I've heard it described is the um, the somewheres versus the anywheres. So, like, uh, to, to put it in another way, there, there are people who, by merit of their social class, by merit of their education, by merit of, by merit of their vocation, they're able to essentially live and thrive anywhere. Like... For instance, based on my like my career and my education, I could, if I so chose, I could move to the UK and work there. I could work in Germany, pretty much anywhere in Europe. I just have to pick mm. up the language. But because of what my specialty is, I, I'm able to work even even in Japan. Like to an extent, I could probably work there because it's just pharma. Um, but then there are people who are like. Um, the somewheres, like, the people who, like, they're really linked to a place. Like, think somebody who, like, they've got a family business in a small town, and they've they've run it for, like, three generations. They've got deep roots in the community. Like, you know, they've, they've known this neighbor's family for, like, 20 years or something like that. Um, yeah. Farmers are a good example of that, too. Like, people who have worked their own land for, uh, like, X number of years. Um, the example I'm thinking of is the family from Coco. Yeah, that's a good example. the The shoemaker family. Yeah, yeah, that they've they've been there for generations, and the 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 thought that I was having around this is, well, both I, I think both of them have like a lot of merit, and the older I get, the more appeal the somewhere kind of lifestyle has to me, like actually being from a place and putting down roots and then like just having that generational mentality of just like you know 
this this is my town this is my home these are like these are my neighbors and my friends and i've known them for years and things like that um because it's not something that i've ever had in my life because even my 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 parents like um my my dad when he was growing up he moved all over the place like i think for a while they were living out in ohio they he lived in florida for a while and then he lived in massachusetts again um, my mother grew up out in the Midwest, and you know, when she was uh, in her twenties, she moved out here to the East Coast and kind of moved around a bit and and traveled. And then, so even our hometown, like we were kind of there were a lot of families from my hometown that had been there for years and years and years. Um, mine was fairly new in that, like we'd only been there for like a couple of years. Even my my parents, yeah. when they were dating, they lived in a, a different town in Massachusetts. Um, so it, it's, it's something that has grown and appealed to me because the, the kind of anywhere lifestyle, um, and way of living in the world has always been the way that I've existed because, you know, I've, I've my entire adult life, like I moved around to go to college, then I moved to a different town, then I moved, um, to my hometown for a bit, then I moved to a different town and now I live in a city that I knew nothing about before I decided to buy a condo here. So it's it's something that like I don't know if it's like a, a grass is greener thing or if I'm just but but do you that's the, the philosophical concept. And before I go any further with that, I just want to get your your thoughts on it, like on the two the two different examples. Um, well I think there's different kinds of the anywhere. There's the anywhere that you go to a place no matter where it is because you want to further yourself and become successful and you know uh, make a name for yourself Mm -hmm. and then there's a separate very uh, different anywhere which is I want to get out and see the world and experience life um, and all the different cultures and things Mm -hmm. and yeah, I don't know. It's, one is more of a forced anywhere. The other is more of a choosing anywhere. And um, that actually, that's a good point. And I'm thinking this, this in both of those, the, the somewheres and the anywheres, I think that there's there's a positive and a negative side to both of them. Because mm. like you said, there's the, the positive and negative side of the... Well, I don't think that... I, I'm not considering them as positive or negative because... I mean, personally, I am not the kind of person who who this is gonna sound bad. I'm not the kind of person who's like, I want to go to this place and this place and this place to see the sights and be a tourist. I fucking hate. I hate doing that. Being a tourist. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, I'm far more likely to go to a place for work to mm. progress myself and become better as a person. But I know a lot of people who are completely opposite, so I wouldn't say they're positive or negative. Um, yeah, I mean that's there's a reason that like because i've i've traveled to a lot of interesting places for work um mm. and when i'm there like i i've been with coworkers like oh they want to go and see like this monument or they want to go to see this museum or something like that and mm. i don't do that like i went to a very yeah, i want to go see the casino and i want to see the bar and i want to but, collapse on the couch no but that that's what i i but you're talking about a very particular... I remember that night. Um, but no, uh, there was... I'm talking about... It wasn't a particular thing I was talking about. That's just how I would do it. <laughs> but there's a... Um, well, I, I've, I've done that exact thing in the UK, actually. Yeah. Um, but no, but there's... But I'm actually going to... But that in particular is a good example. What I like doing, or what I really enjoyed doing when I, I was traveling a lot, 
was to find like either like a small local restaurant or like a small bar or mm. something like that and just chat with the people who were there like you've seen me do this in in, in reality just yeah. strike up a random conversation with people i loved doing that um but i think that that can become a negative th- there's a line from do you know the tv show parks and recreation yeah it's you know where the the infamous uh, ron swanson comes from my spirit animal you know the, the man i think I, I aspire to be uh but he like there's a there's a line that he has about this one character who's like an old friend of one of the other main characters and he's always talking about these adventures he went on and all these interesting people that he knew and um the way he describes that guy is um you know he's a tourist in other people's lives like he and i think that's the negative way because that guy never has any real connections he never has any sort of strong bonds with other people that you get when you have like the the going back to the somewhere type people the people who have like the generational like i know this guy and i knew his father and my father knew his grandfather and so on and so on um yeah this guy doesn't have any commitment which is yeah he's just traveling around having his adventures but it's all for the purpose of having these sort of social interactions where you can talk to and i think rushes i think when i when i was saying positive or negative earlier i think that's what i was trying to get to is there's a danger in both attitudes yeah there's a danger of in that way never having a substantial connection um and just going through life as a tourist um and then on the other end of things there's the chance of being way too rooted in where you're from and that's when you get into like xenophobia and jingoism uh where you're just like you it's it's we're we're right we're the right way you know it's it's me and mine outsiders are weird and i think there's there's dangers on both sides that where it can become unhealthy um but yeah and uh regarding yeah staying in one place quite often family is a reason that a lot of people stay in the same place um and put down roots in the community yeah like if you don't have i don't know let's say you you don't uh, it's more so if if you get like um married for example yeah it's not just your family which makes you want to stay there it's also your partner's family for reasons that you stay there so i think if you're like you know single if you're in a shit place you're a lot more likely to move somewhere else and start afresh. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, yeah. There's something to be said about that being a bit of a negative thing too, because this is uh, where the concept of like brain drain comes from. So like people in maybe a place that's either suboptimal or shitty, um, mm. they are like, okay, this is awful. Well, I could stay here and try to build and improve and and stuff like that, or I can move to a place that's better and just go there. Um, that's yeah. where you get concepts of brain drain. Where you get countries where people. A good example of this is, um, you know, in in India, like a ton of people who get like good educations in technical fields or doctors or things like that, they move either to Europe or to the U.S. because 
their their opportunities in their their home country while it would improve their home country to stay there and try to like build stuff and but it's better it for them be the best thing for them exactly yeah. for them and their family it's better or more expedient to move out and go to these other places um i think that's that's also kind of the uh one of the other negative aspects of like kind of the the anywhere culture the other one and family you brought up family and this is this is one of the, the other things that i think is a big part of this I, I see i see this a lot and i i know a lot of people or have worked with people that are like this where they just like they seem increasingly eager to like just cut ties with family um like i and it's maybe it's because i like i grew up with a fairly close-knit family at least the the family that i have here on on the east coast and I, I still am pretty close with the family i have out in the midwest um i can't imagine like there was there was one person that i know of in my um in my family that like basically everyone cut ties with and i don't know all the details um because it's just something that people don't talk about but um it was a big deal but now like i feel like i see people all the time it's like oh you know my father said this thing and i don't agree with that so i'm just not talking to him anymore or something like that and i feel like that's be in becoming increasingly common and i said that out loud and in my head i'm like that's the behavior of like a 14 year old but no it's people who are in their <laughs> mid-20s who are saying shit like that and it's like that's that seems really mentally unhealthy to me um i don't know maybe you do you have a different perspective on that i just i think everything is um any altercation depending on how close it is to the actual time it happened Thing change, things change over time. I could be really angry at someone one minute, yeah. and then after a minute, I've just let myself cool off, and I'm like, "All right, I'm being stupid. Let's deal with this, like gentlemen." That that's generally how um, I, I I tend to like if I get angry, it's it's very difficult for me to hold a grudge. Like, I if I'm angry at someone, I'm typically over it within like five minutes. Um. Like even well, not not necessarily over it, but like come to a point of understanding point, where you can yeah. see the other person. Yeah, exactly, yeah. where it's I'm not being blinded by anger. I'm going like, okay, that's still fucked up what happened, but let's hash this out like adults. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very rare for me to stay like um, very very angry, um, and I think that that's that's kind of the the default healthy attitude. And I just, we've kind of moved on now into <laughs> to, to the plagues of Psychology. modern culture. Yep. Um, oh, God. So this is relevant to what we were just talking about. So recently I recorded a video that at some point is going to go up on the YouTube channel. Um, that, that game, uh, The Suicide of Rachel Foster. Yep. And the main character for the first, like, 20 minutes of the game was so insufferable, I almost just stopped playing the game. Because they epitomized the exact fucking attitude that we're talking about like their their father um did something messed up and so the mother took the daughter and left and um and they just cut all ties and as a result the you know uh the daughter grew up bitter and vindictive and sarcastic and angry and to the point where when she's having a normal interaction with somebody who's just trying to help her and save her life honestly she's being a just a complete bitch like 
Um, just every single thing he says, she responds with sarcasm. Any sign of help, she ignores and flies in the face of. He's like, if you go out in the snow, we can't save you and you're going to die. And she's Is like... She British by any chance? No, no, she was from Montana. <laughs> so, pr pretty pretty far from British. <laughs> I just heard always sarcastic and I was like, <laughs> I know my people. Yeah, um, so it just... And I think that that was... But I should say that in that game, she becomes a bit more self-aware, begins to understand like her situation... And realize that this person is just trying to help her. And she, she kind Character of... Character evolution. Yeah, she has a moment of self-reflection. And that's why I kept playing the game. And I intend to keep playing the game. Because it opens up by making the character very much an insufferable asshole. And then giving that character depth by having them notice that they've been a dick. Um, but yeah. It just this is this is we, we've kind of gone into uh, a bit more of a philosophical bent than I was expecting with this, but uh, yeah. And it, you well, were... would you like me to switch the topic? Uh, go on, you guys say. No, no, no. I, I was just going to ask if you had anything else, or if you wanted to switch the topic. So exactly what you were saying. Um, oh, well, what I was going to say so the reason I was smiling just then, hmm. she probably caught. <laughs> You're like, oh, but then she became not an asshole. I was like, we're playing. Um, Call of Cthulhu right now, and our character's an absolute asshole. Oh god, he's such a And dick. I hope he never changes. <laughs> he's such a dick. There's a difference between a character you have no control over being a dick when you don't want them to be, yeah. or when you're playing a game and you have the option not to be an asshole and do it anyway. That's, that's sometimes cathartic in a video game. It's the reason yeah. in Mass Effect why there are so many memes and jokes around you punching out the reporter. Because the reporter's being a dick, and it's it's very cathartic. It's not a good mm. idea, and there are repercussions in the game. Like, it's bad PR. And also, a guy in that isn't being an asshole to people who've helped him. No. He's being an asshole to people who are being an asshole to him. Yeah. Asshole counterattack. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, alright, yeah, let's let's move on. I bet it... This is, this is just a, a concept that's kind of been on my mind, uh, you know, for the past few months, and now that I'm settling back into my old work routine it's um it's kind of come back to the forefront again so i just i thought it would be something mm. interesting to talk about but your topic well transitioning from call of cthulhu to another cthulhu-esque game which okay. uh so this is this is a game i've been playing all through this week and i got super hooked on and fucking loved it um it's called stirring abyss and the reason we're not playing it on the channel is because I keep getting us to play Cthulhu-esque cult <laughs> horror games, and I have to stop because I've got a bad, I've got a, a problem. Uh, <laughs> well, and I don't like playing horror games, which is just it's like, oh, what are we playing next? Scary. Play Call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu. I this yeah. is the least scary of them. It's not. It's not a scary game. It's yeah. just got, um, hmm, uh, intense. I don't know. It, it's pixel graphics, so it's not scary. Yeah, um, quite difficult. The to idea be. of it, if you were to have like a, a real uh, camera footage of the things going on, it would be quite horrific. Yeah. Um, so, any super old people out there, 
will possibly remember a game called XCOM Terror from the Deep. Um, which was one of the original XCOM games, and it was all about you dive under the water in the earth, on the earth, and basically aliens landed in the, the water and you'd fight them underwater. Yeah. And there were heavy themes coming from that. And then you mix that in with Lovecraftian Cthulhu-esque lore. Um, you are a... Well, you start out with like a, a, a chief of a submarine who wakes up in a diving suit underwater. And you eventually find your, like a, a crew member and you uh, find the submarine that you arrived here on. And the submarine's absolutely fucking flooded. Uh, and the submarine's like your hub, which you come back to after each uh, mission. And much like in the new XCOM, uh, the first of the new XCOMs, hmm. you kind of slowly... Uh, excavate each of the rooms and you get more uh, upgrades and things to, to equip your people with as yeah. you keep exploring the Base deep. development and stuff like that that goes along the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay. Yeah, and so as you're going along you're, you're bouncing a whole bunch of things. You're bouncing, uh, keeping your limited crew alive. Uh, you're also looking for scrap metal to, to repair the ship. And you can also, uh, there is there are there are voices coming from the so there's essentially monsters uh, un under the, the the water and they are uh, tentacly and they all want to kill you or send you insane. Hmm. But there are some shrines where it's like a an elder god speaks to you through the shrine and he gives you the ability to mutate your crew members to give them it's special Abather. yes literally <laughs> so you can mutate your crew members to have like a tentacle arm or two hearts or literally like a swarm of bees surround your character <laughs> give them the full uh, Nicolas Cage exactly which honestly so I kind of I, I don't like to, to metagame these guys these games too hard. So I, I basically put all of my mutations onto one guy. Mm. Um, and so it's definitely not the most efficient way of doing it. But basically I had this, this crew of humans and this one guy who was like a crazy cultist dude who's like I said got tentacle arms and all these kinds of things and he, he's just like insane compared to everyone else. Uh, yeah and as you go along Every mission you have to keep an eye on your air supply and your sanity and your health all at the same time. Um, and there's like a story about um, like you're, you're the captain of your ship. Um, I don't know if he was in, in on it to begin with or if he just was targeted by mind control and led your people to doom. Hmm. Uh, and then there's also a Russian vessel you find out which um, you you kind of find recordings from Russians and they're like it's essentially the people that came before you and the same thing has happened to them comrades see the uh, more vodka yeah <laughs> but uh, and one of the messages you come across which is a bit of a turning point in the game it's like 
uh, and they took the warhead. Hmm. So now the, the, the underwater alien Cthulhu monsters have a nuke. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And yeah, it's pretty impressive through the game. What? Go on. Why, why do the Cthulhu monsters need a nuke? Well, you don't know. But By the way, you, interesting, like, so we, we're both pronouncing it Cthulhu, right? Apparently yeah. the way Lovecraft originally pronounced it was um, Chitulhu. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was it was very different from how most people pronounce it today. Fun little factoid. Oh. Continue on. Anyway, yeah. So, this is going to be major spoilers, by the way. I mean, I've already spoiled parts of it. It's, I mean, the um, Lovecraftian lore stuff. I mean, if you know anything about, like, the lore of his universe, it's spoiled already. Yeah. So, uh... As, also, as you're going on, there's, like, a, a general sanity meter for the entire ocean. Yeah. And you can reduce How that by doing the ocean quests. is. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, it, Those it, waves look the, a little crazy. <laughs> the more insane, like, the stronger the and, and more mutated yeah. the enemies are. Yeah, it's um, like the, um... Uh, you, you played the Mechanicum game. It's like the yeah. the awareness of the, uh... Necro... Uh, Necron tier. Like... Yes. I, they're, they're How close they are to waking up exactly. fully. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a similar thing. For for other strategy-like games like that. Hmm. Uh, so that's a, another thing you have to keep an eye on as you're going along. And... Um... Oh, fuck. Anyway, you get some weird fucking creatures, and as you go along, the creatures get more varied and more deadly. Hmm. Uh, oh, and there's a fucking an upgrade for the submarine I got right at the end, where you can literally just pinpoint a, a target, and the, the submarine fires a miss a torpedo at it on the map. It's really fucking cool, even though it's absolute trash damage wise. <laughs> um, oh, there's. I just thought of another topic once once we're we're okay. through with this. It has nothing to do with this, and I it, the reason I thought of it is fucking idiotic. But let's just keep going. But I I do want to jump in here. Like I, I I like the description of the game. I like the XCOM style games. I yeah. I the the new XCOM. Uh, when I'm saying XCOM, I mean like the new XCOM style games. The the sort of yeah. grid based tactical. It does play like that. It just looks like the old ones. Uh, there's um, so I I have only played the first new XCOM uh, and I had because mm. I had it for the Xbox. Uh, it was one of those you know free games. If you have Xbox Live, they give you a free two free games every month, and so that was one of the free games. Uh, and I I played through it and I haven't beat the game, but it, it's a fun thing Wait, to just the new XCOM. Did you say the new XCOM in relation to the XComs that came out in the '90s for the PC? Oh, okay. So this is the one that came out in, like, the mid... What was it? 2012? 2000... I don't know when it came out. Right. But the in the modern e- XCOM franchise, XCOM 1. Mm. XCOM Enemy Unknown, that's what it was called. Yeah, that was it. Um, and I enjoy that kind of game. There's actually a really good... Uh, so I, obviously, I, I enjoy visual novels um, as a, a storytelling medium. There's a good one that I played called uh, Utawaru no Mono. Um, yeah, a little bit of Japanese there. I have no idea what the fuck it means in English. Um, I know no means it's like a possessive, and mono, I think, means monkey? I might be wrong right. about that. Doesn't matter. 
Um, but it's it's got the same sort of grid based like SRPG kind of uh, style to mm. it, and I I do enjoy that gameplay format. Like when I need a break from the sort of rigors of kind of the fast paced like FPS or like rts style thing it's nice to just it's why last night when we were playing polytopia again it was nice to just chill out and yeah. do a little turn-based approach as you fucking slaughter my people um i'm quite good at that game <laughs> i'm not <laughs> i had to remember how to fucking move the units um, but you enjoy it and that's what's important. but no it, it sounds interesting I, I i kind of popped in a couple times when you were playing it this week and you know watched mm. a little bit of the gameplay so there were some quite funny moments, like, so you know how I said the submarine could fire these massive fucking torpedoes? Yeah. I was doing that, I fired it at a boss, and then the boss mind-controlled me and made me walk over to the boss, and the torpedo was still coming, and I was like, and I don't know if you, this how you play XCOM. This will be a bonding experience. <laughs> I don't know how you play XCOM, but... I, I tend to have, like, one single group that's really powerful, and if any of them die, it's fucking terrible. So that, that is the, the second time this week that I've used that fucking reference from Lord of War. Yeah. Um, but, no, I, I, I do, I like that. I, I like games that have enough flexibility that unexpected shit can happen like that. It's one of the things that I really yeah. try to incorporate, like, in D&D, &D, um, when I'm... I'm hosting those games one of the rules that i always have and you you've played in one of my games the rule that i always go with when i'm dming a game is that i i will allow my players to do anything but that comes with the the, the like that's the the little caveat that there will be consequences to uh yep. if you do something really fucking stupid um yeah and I was in a really fucking stupid team when I was playing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised you guys didn't die. Oh, by the way, you know that that wand that uh, uh, Kevin yeah, had? That, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. It blew up in his face and caused a riot. Again. Yeah. <laughs> that was... Uh, the game hasn't continued since then. We actually put that one on pause and moved on to another one. But, um... Right. Yeah, just fun little fun little side story there. Um... Mm. Anything else you want to say about the game, or shall we move on? Because I had, uh, I think, one last thing to kind of end it off. Go for it. All right. It has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but it, when I made the joke in the middle of your uh, description of finding the Russians, of the, the mm. comrade, we need more vodka, it reminded me of a conversation. Um, so I saw a bunch of college friends a few weeks back. Uh, actually, I think it was last, last weekend. Um we went up, you know, to one of our, through a Halloween party, and um, Halloween party, you know, in the uh, the 30 and over uh, crowd means kids running around with, uh, with a dog and us playing board A cheese games. board. Yeah, That's you when know. you know you've fucking che gone past the mark. <laughs> the funny thing is, my friend's wife at the party, um, she was pissed because the cheese board wasn't, like, ready. They they ordered it, and it didn't get delivered, and she... Describe... Okay, call their manager. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, no! So it wasn't that bad, but yeah, but it's it's much more chill. Like it's it's not like the the college party day, not like the the clubbing you know yeah. party that you had you know going out. But um, yeah, no one's putting on loud rock music. No one's no. looking to get banged. Yeah, <laughs> like... it, was, it was it was music and board games Classical. and just yeah. like a few drinks and some good food. 
like a very maybe some cards against humanity also <laughs> oh, risque <laughs> we were we were playing um we were, you know we did play a lot of a lot of board it was actually a really good board game that we played there but that's that's not the point um mm. like my my friend that was hosting it um his wife basically doesn't doesn't um drink anymore but she still likes to have like a cocktail so they've apparently they make non-alcoholic liquor which right is such a that weird like vegan oxy- burgers i'm sorry what's that bottle that you're holding there <laughs> sorry for those that can't see um blue, blue has just un uncapped- don't you shame me I don't, don't shame me well, I'm, I'm sitting here drinking a glass of wine but still Apparently they do make these things. Like I knew they had like there's a wide variety of like craft non-alcoholic beer now. Um, like last mm. year in 2020, I uh, w- me and uh, a friend did the whole like sober October thing, where you like. Yeah. You I know, mean, you said yourself you had like those. Yeah, you love those um, alcohol-free beers. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was it was the Heineken Zero, and mm. I was like that was actually it had a weird metallic bitch. taste to it, but but it still tasted basically like. Heineken, and it, it was good. Yeah. It was great because I could, you know, in the middle of a work day, I could I could have a have a beer with a sandwich, and it was fine. Yeah, and you acted less like a prick than when you drink alcohol. <laughs> Sorry, pardon my language. Um, but no, so like they um, they apparently they make they make non-alcoholic liquor, and it, it sparked a conversation because there's different varieties. Like um, she had like. A couple bottles of non-alcoholic rum and tequila, mm. which uh, I don't know. Basically, apparently, like tastes basically the same. But they they were trying out a few different ones, and they got like a non-alcoholic whiskey, which apparently just tastes like wood and cinnamon. Like it was, it it doesn't it didn't sound According too to appetizing. You. I wanted to try it. I never tried. Oh it. no, you didn't try it. No, okay, no, they right. they bought it, and they, it was apparently it was so horrible they they dumped it out and you know didn't get it again. Mm. And I was I was disappointed because I wanted to try it because I I like whiskey. I was about to say that's a sin to dump alcohol, but I but it's not it isn't alcohol. But it's not. It, it was apparently <laughs> what they did to kind of simulate the the burn you get when you have a whiskey um, was they they added in uh, like some sort of a, a a spice or a chemical Chilly to simulate yeah. it, and it was yeah. apparently it just tasted bad. It was like wood tea with a weird burn. That was how we described mm. it. But but I told you before I had. Um... Uh, spicy tequila shots. Hmm. And it really fucking burnt. <laughs> that was like spicy as fuck. Yeah, I've I've never been enjoyable. a fan of shots. I don't like I don't like shots. No, I don't like shots. I the, the one kind of cheap damn. the one kind of shot I've ever done is tequila shots, and that's mostly because I love the whole routine of it, like the you know the salt, the lime, the you know, whatever. Um. But I, I know I've told this story before, but the first time I did it, I completely, like, I didn't understand what I was doing. So, like, you know, I you know, I, ate, I ate the salt, I took the shot, and then I threw the whole yeah. lime slice in my mouth and just ate the whole thing. <laughs> Fucking weirdo. No, like, and the, the, the best... The funny so. what the, the, the thing was, I was, at, I was at a party, and, like, the girl who is, like, getting us all to do the shot, she was like, okay, yeah, we're gonna do another one. It's like, Matt, where's your lime? I was like, I ate it. <laughs> She's like, what? Anyway, um, the the but, best but, chaser I've ever had. But but before okay, before you tell the story, the one thing, and we were we're trying to think of like, okay, so there's non-alcoholic rum, there's non-alcoholic tequila, there's non-alcoholic whiskey. What? Mm. And then one of one of the <laughs> the girls was like, okay, there's 
like we were like what's one that they they wouldn't have made and they were like oh a non-alcoholic vodka and she was like yeah because it, it's completely pointless like a good vodka doesn't taste like anything anyway a non-alcoholic vodka is water yeah but go on what were you saying yeah um no the 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 one chase that i've ever had that like has actually been like brilliant was um it was at the the rum bar that you've been to it yeah yeah um and it was back when a certain person was working there who was very generous. <laughs> and so uh, they were like, oh, we've got this new thing in. You've got to try it. Because I, I was a bit of a regular there. And so he, he queued him up for both of us. And it was like a normal shot. And then there was this like murky green, disgusting looking thing that was apparently like had some kind of vegetables in it. Right? Okay. Yeah. Or maybe it was kiwi. I don't know. Doesn't matter. But go on. Anyway. Had the shot, tasted fucking disgusting, <laughs> and I was like, I really don't want to drink this green shit. Oh, don't make me do it. All right, fine, I'll do it. Straight back, fucking delicious. <laughs> the chaser was so nice. <laughs> it just goes to show, like, there, there's some drinks and food out there that look surprise you. Yeah, yeah. look disgusting. Then you taste them. It's like, oh, that's actually pretty like, good. Damn. Yeah, no, really nice. Um. Yeah. But I'm not a shots person. No, no, yeah, I've never. No, I and I. I I'm much more like my my preferred method of consuming alcohol is like a tumbler with some ice and like a good whiskey. Yeah, that's a that's, slow sipper. Yeah, that that's my preferred method of of uh, of consuming alcohol. Mm. Um. But yeah, no, it's, it was a weird thing to me, like the fact that. The, the whole, like, non-alcoholic alcohol industry has grown significantly in recent years. Because it used to be that there was only a few, like, non-alcoholic beers in the U.S. There was, like, O'Doul's and, like, a couple other random things. Um, uh, I'm... I'm... No, sorry. No, and then... But now it's grown. There's a ton of, like... There's a bunch of non-alcoholic craft beers. There's non-alcoholic wine and champagne. Yeah. There's, like, people who... And now, apparently, there's non-alcoholic liquor. It's... I, well, if there's non-alcoholic Baileys, I'll certainly be fucking drinking that. That's just that's just fucking heavy cream. <laughs> like... I mean, that's just Baileys, actually, pretty much, because it's not alcoholic. But yeah, um, Baileys is pretty Baileys good. I like delicious. Baileys. Um, I haven't had that in a long time. I can't remember what I was gonna say. Fuck, I hate it when this happens. Oh yeah, you get the thought. And it's like, oh, it's it's right there. Like, and it's you're about to say it, and it's shit. Oh man, well. I mean, yeah, that's that's just a, a fun little topic, I think, to end us off. Um, you've got a few seconds. Can you think of it? Can you think of it? Nope. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize what you took. I was fucking with you. Um, yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we end the podcast? Uh, I'm hungry. I'm actually kind of hungry, too. Yeah. All, all I had for breakfast was a protein bar. Um, well... This is going to be the end of episode 67 of the TMCJ podcast. Thank you all for listening, and hopefully you will tune in again next week. Eric! <laughs>